welcome to our Victory Outreach Chino podcast. We pray you are blessed, encouraged, and challenged with this message. Well, we're entering into a new season. I've been talking about God wants to do a new thing and a new season of preaching this coming month to grow more, to change more, to expand more. And God is raising up a winning team. Say, a winning team. He has called us to be victorious, winners, champions. And next week, we're having our main coach, our head coach, come into town, Pastor Sonny Sr. And we're going to be beginning a 90-day challenge of becoming a great team player starting next week. So we're going to pack this place out. Pastors are coming from different parts of Southern Cal and also Central Cal. I believe over probably 20-something pastors and their wives are coming next week. It's going to be like a mini-conference. It'll be like Women's Convention continues on next Sunday, so you don't want to miss it. We're going to add more chairs if we need to, but whatever it takes, we're going to have a powerful time next week. So I want you to turn your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It's good to see uh, the women that are visiting with us today. Did I hear right? Was it New York in the back? New York City. We got Texas. We got Holland. We got South Africa. Got a lot of different people here. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, it says, And he himself, who's the he? It's Jesus, okay? Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the equipping, say equipping, of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Say every part does its share. And it it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Powerful passage. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We want to be a winning team here at the Mother Church. We want to be a winning team overall at Victor Outreach International. You called us to great things. Greater things are yet to come. New things are taking place in our church, in our churches, in the ministry as a whole. We thank you, God, for your grace and your power in our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Tell the person next to you, say, you're part of a winning team. You may be seated. Now, the key word, I want to just give you a definition for the key word, equipping. The word equipping in the Greek, it's katartismos. I hope I said that right. (laughs) But the meaning is this, a making fit, preparing, perfecting, making fully qualified for service. In classical language, the word is used for setting a bone during surgery. Setting a bone during surgery. My son, Cody, had broke one of his bones on his forearm, and they had to reset his bone. He has a plate in his, in his left hand, left arm. Um, and so we know a little bit about resetting something. It hurts to reset something, but once it's healed, it's, it's completely healed and whole. The great physician, meaning God himself, is now making all the necessary adjustments so that the church will not 
be out of joint. God wants us to unify. God wants us to roll up our sleeves and get to work, get busy, get to the plow that God has called you to plow. Every one of us have a gifting. Every one of us have a calling. And we're part of a winning team. When you think of a winning team, who do you think of? The Dodgers? <laughs> they blew it last playoffs, man. I was so bummed. You know, uh, I remember in the Lakers, too, some of you guys are the Lakers. I don't know if they're doing good this year, but they usually are a winning team. Uh, but, there's, you know, the Rams are usually, last year they won the championship. So we have winning teams in L.A., but we also have a winning team here in this church. And you're part of it. I was so discouraged uh, in 2017 when we played those Astros, the cheaters. I was so upset. I went to the first game, and I had my good seats. I had good seats that I had, and it was powerful. We won that first game, and I was excited. We're going to win this thing. By the last game, I got, somebody got me a ticket, but it was all the way, all the way in nosebleed. Like, literally, all the, all the way to the top. I think we're three rows from the top, the highest spot in the, behind home plate. And you can barely see the guys down there. And then by the, by the seventh inning, I was getting desperate because we were losing by a few runs. I forgot how many, I think four or five runs. And I was thinking, we got to win this thing. So you know what I did? I said, I'm going to start praying. I just said it out loud. I'm going to start praying. I'm going to stretch my hand. And all the, my whole row said, I'm going to do it too. Even the row in front of us, they were all drinking and everything. Yeah, I'll do it with you. <laughs> Stretching our hands. Yeah. But our prayer didn't work. <laughs> Little did we know we were being cheated. You know, I thought, of, I thought maybe Joel Osteen's people were praying in advance or something. I don't know. All the way from Houston. But, but we finally won the World Series in 2020. But that was during the COVID. We couldn't be able to, be, able to rejoice with them in, in person. That was kind of bump. And then this year they won the most games in franchise history. But then they lose to the Padres, of all people. So it wasn't a winning, it wasn't a championship win. It was a division win, but not a championship win. We want the championship here at Victory Outreach. We're raising up champions in this house. You are called to be victorious. You are called to be great. You are called to be awesome in the name of Jesus. Winning teams are made up of individuals who have been able to harness their strengths, becoming the best for the team. Every one of you have a strength to add to the team. See, our team here, the church, our church and the church in general, the body of Christ, plays a powerful role in this world that we live in. We matter to the world because we are the salt and we are the light. The salt does two things. The salt brings preservation and the salt also brings flavor. You make the world flavorful. With all the wickedness around us, with all the darkness around us, with all the injustice around us, with all the drug addiction around us, with all the violence around us, with all the nonsense around us, Victory Outreach is shining bright. Victory Outreach is on the cutting edge. Victory Outreach is still the salt and the light to this dying world. You have a name. Be proud of it. name of your team is Victory Outreach. Victory Outreach is unique in our calling because we're a mission-driven ministry. Yeah, we teach the word, we preach the word, we do all that, all toward one mission to reach the world, to reach the inner cities of the world. We have a clear vision. We're the eldest church, mother church, in the movement. 
But we're not a dying church. We're a vibrant, living church. Still giving birth to new people. Next week, we're going to launch out one of our guys to be a men's home director in Boston. Still launching people out. Still sending people to the UTCs. Still sending people to be part of teams. We have a great team in Boston right now. And they're gelling together. They're working hard together. Preparing for this great crusade that we're going to have in July. They're growing week by week. Bit by bit. But they're going to be growing, I believe, to 100 by the time we get there. We have a legacy of faith from generation to generation. Passing on to three multi-generational church. We have promises Isaiah 45, 2 and 3, treasures out of darkness, and we're still reaching treasures. Just look around you. Treasures all around us. And 54, 2 and 3, expanding to the right and to the left, and your descendants shall inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. We're seeing it happen at an exponential rate. Is that the right word? I hope I said it right. Exponential. In other words, accelerated. It's acceleration time. My dad, I'm telling you, you're going to hear more from him next week, but he is so alive and excited for what God is doing, for planting bases, different parts, strategic places in the world. I'll let him tell you more about it. You're probably going to learn more about it at the Women's Convention. But we have promises. Isaiah 59, 21, talking about from generation to generation, generation, this vision shall be passed on. The legacy continues. We have a certain DNA. There's a certain grace, uniqueness. There's something about... The way we even walk, our look. They, you know what I, I found out the other day? We were in an elders meeting, and there, uh, Pastor Al was there. He was talking about Kansas City. It's not Kansas City, Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City, we just started a church out there, a multi-regional church plant that, he, that they launched. And when my dad went to visit, they were in a restaurant, and they were sitting there, you know, and the, the waiter of the server comes up, and he says, he goes, you guys are from Southern California, huh? And he goes, they go, yep. They go, you ever heard of Victory Outreach? They said, that's who we are. <laughs> is that guy still around? You know that one pastor, is he still around? And he looks around the table and he says, oh, there he is, my dad. He was shocked because he had been touched by Victory Outreach years ago before he moved to Oklahoma City. We don't realize how big we are. We don't realize how known we are. We sometimes live in a bubble. Like, you know, we think that we're not known. We are known. You are known. You're part of a great, great team. Say, I am on a winning team. We have a certain anointing about us. Certain people can't get breakthroughs for the drug addict. They can't get breakthroughs for the ones that are hardcore. But something about the anointing that God has put upon us touches the homeboy, touches the homegirl, touches the prisoner, touches the addict, touches those that are addicted, touches people powerfully and breaks the yokes of bondage. We have been called to set an example to nurture others, to raise up a whole other generation. I want to pour myself into this third wave. I want to give myself also to the music ministry. To see more music being written. I want to someday to get on the radio. Like that song from Donna Summer. On the radio. What? Was it Donna Summer? Whoa. Yeah, on the radio. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> why not? Why can't, be, why can't we be on the radio? We have the talent. We have the ability. Secondly, good coaching. 
See, a winning team has good coaching. Good coaching is important to the team's success. The coach challenges the players, directs the players, encourages them, but the coach can't do the work for the player. I could give you the word every week or people come on this pulpit and give you the word, but you got to do the work from Monday to Saturday. Then come get, the, come get the plays again on Sunday or Wednesday whenever church is open in your life group, your victory group. You want to just continue to learn the playbook, which is the word of God. When you think of great coaches taking teams to championship victories, who do you think of? I think of Phil Jackson. He was a great coach, right? He took the Lakers to the championships. He had a, his own philosophy, brought that philosophy that worked for him with the Bulls and brought it to the Lakers. It worked for the Lakers. I think of Tommy Lasorda. Tommy Lasorda was a great coach. He was very fiery. I'll never forget 1988 Kirk Gibson home run. I was there for that home run. Me and my dad and my brother Tim, along with Joe Serducci. I don't know if he's here today. But, man, what a powerful moment. And I remember hearing the story, the, the background story, of how Tommy kept going into the locker room says, are you ready yet, Kirk? Because Kirk was hurt. Both knees were hurt. And he, was, he, he was icing his knees. But then toward the end of the game, they panned across the dugout, the cameras, and Vince Scully started saying, well, it looks like Kirk's not going to be in the game today. But then Tommy went back one more time, and he was already, Kirk was suiting up. He says, I'm getting in the game. He said, no way, because he got upset when, when uh, Vince Scully said he's not going to get in the game. So he started suiting up. He said, he said a bad word, an expletive. He said, blank, no, I'm going to get up and do this. He got out there limping, and then they, Tom Lasorda was very strategic in waiting for the right moment to let him be revealed, because or else they could walk him. If we don't get a guy on base. So there was a lot of backstory to it. And then there was a coach that told Kirk Gibson, because he was facing the best closer in baseball, one of the best of all time, Dennis Eckersley, sidearm guy. And he had, a, he had a crazy slider. The coach, one of the coaches, when he got, he says, when you get to three and two, expect the backdoor slider. I don't know if you know what that means. He's a right-hander, so it comes like this. And if you're a left-handed hitter, it's called a backdoor slider. So it comes from the right. Side, like if you're a right-handed hitter, it looks like it's going to hit you, and then it goes right over the plate. But if you're a left-hander, it looks outside. And, he's, and then once he got to three and two count, he stepped, out of the, he stepped out of the box. He looked at the coach that told him before that looked for that backdoor slider. So he, got, he kind of nodded, got back in there. That, that pitch that he was waiting for, boom, came right across the plate. He, he hit the home run with just arms because his legs were like jelly. Just reached out, hit it over. And we won. We did it. Then ended up winning the World Series against the number one team in baseball, the Oakland A's, which were cheaters too because they're steroids. <laughs> A lot of cheating people around here, man. <laughs> so the, the essence of the message don't be a cheater. See, God ultimately owns this team. And Jesus is our head coach. And we are the players. He gave some to be apostles, my dad. He gave some to be an evangelist, Nikki Cruz. He gave some to be pastors, me. He gave some to be teachers and some to be prophets. I believe Pastor Ed was one of the prophets in our ministry at one point. We don't call them that, 
but they move in the prophetic giftings. And so what, what we do, we're called to equip you for the what? Are you, are you here? For the what? It's hard to say work. Huh? For the work of the ministry. Trabajando. Is that right? I know a little bit of Spanish. Poquito español. You're called to do the work of the ministry. We equip you to do the work of the ministry. But God is our boss. God owns us. He owns everything. And we look to Jesus, author and finisher of our faith. So as a coach, our prayer, my prayer and purpose is not only to shepherd, to care for God's people, but to coach them, to challenge them, to challenge you towards spiritual growth. Can you say amen? To see you fulfill your potential in Christ with a sense of dignity, belonging, and destiny. Everyone has a destiny in this room. Everyone can feel belonging in this room. I met a young man the other day on Wednesday night. He's brand new to the church. He had been going to a church for 20 years, and his father had 20 years. I don't know if they're transferring to our church, but I heard a word that he had never been out fellowshipping with anybody in that church for 20 years. When he came here, our guys took him out to eat. Something like that. We touch people. We care for people. We're a family. A place you call home, people you call family. And family sometimes can get messy, huh? You get squabbles. You don't see eye to eye sometimes. You get mad at your coach. I remember getting so mad at my coach when I was a baseball player at South Hills High School. Because he was mean sometimes. Super mean. I remember he got, it was a preseason game. We were playing here, at, uh, I believe it was Montclair against the high school there. And those guys were good. So I got up to pitch, and I was pitching hard. I would think it was my senior year. My senior year, and I was throwing probably 90 miles per hour. Throwing hard stuff. But I don't even know, you can throw as hard as you want, but if you don't locate, we're going to keep hitting you. They'll catch up to it. So I was pitching fast, hard. <laughs> But they were hitting doubles. Boom, boom. And I was like, what is going on? My neck started hurting because I was like, I had a rubber neck. Whiplash. But I I felt so strong. I felt the strongest in my life. But I wasn't locating the pitches. I wasn't mixing it up enough. So what happens, the coach comes out, real big guy, comes out. And when he's mad, he turns really red, super red. So he comes out and he starts yelling at me on the mound in front of everybody. What's wrong with you, Arkansoni? Why are you? I'm right here. You don't have to yell. <laughs> yelling from the top of it, spitting in my face. What's wrong with you? I said, get the ball down. And I was like, I just handed him the ball and I walked off. I said, okay, all right. I was discouraged. I was very discouraged. And then on the bus ride home, he was still getting on me. I said, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't pitch at all. He's okay. I'll take you up on that. And then the next night, the, that night, I was regretting what I said. My last year in baseball, senior year, I don't want to be on the bench or I don't want to be a part-time player. I want to be right in the center of the action. So the next day I went into his office and I said, Coach, I, I, re- I regret saying what I said. 
you're right, I need to get the ball down. You're right, I need to locate better. But I do want to pitch still. Please forgive me for reacting that way to you. See, sometimes you may not like your coach when they call a play. You may not like the coach when he tells you something that you don't want to hear. You may not like the coach that falsely accuses you of something that you didn't even do. But still, they're still your coach. You still obey. You still follow their, their lead. You still follow what they tell you to do. They are not perfect either. So whatever ministry you find yourself in, you're going to have a coach that makes mistakes. Says the wrong thing or the right thing the wrong way. They yell it, but they should have said it calmly, but they yelled it at you and you took it personal. You say, well, I'm take my marbles home. I'm not going to play no more. Well. Every good coach is going to get in your face at one point or another. And it doesn't have to be done with haste. It can be done in love. I'm going to hear a loud amen. So we want to see your potential in Christ. We want to see your destiny fulfilled. To see you experience the full knowledge of God, who he is and who, who you are to him and the authority as believers that we have in Christ Jesus. We have the authority to cast down, to pull down strongholds. We have the authority to cast out devils. We have the authority to heal the sick. We have the authority to push back darkness. We have the authority in Jesus' mighty name. We want to see you as a coach. What I want to see in you, I want to see you experience a victorious life in Christ. You don't have to be a defeated Christian. It's in our DNA, victory, outreach. We want to see you have a victorious life in Christ, to be an overcomer personally, to be an overcomer at home, to be an overcomer in your community, to be an overcomer in our church community, to be an overcomer in the different countries we're called to touch around the world. You could be victorious. We want to see you become a contributor to this house so we could continue to spread the good news of the gospel that God is going to do and can continue to do things in the lives of those that are searching for hope, that are searching for answers, and victory outreach, we have it. It's in our DNA. We're victory and we outreach. That's why this Easter we're going to really do it big. A new thing, once again, by having uh, a drama or illustrated sermon on, on Palm Sunday, a triumphal entry. And then on Friday, have another illustrated sermon on the, the death of Christ, dying for us. And then, of course, on Sunday, we have the Easter big production, two showings. And then the following Sunday, we never did this before, is to another illustrated sermon on the upper room. Isn't that powerful? You know, Lord of hand, we have creative people in the house. Always looking to take it to the next level. We don't go backwards. We always say, let's go higher. Let's do better. Let's, let's get the right team players together so we can fulfill God's perfect plan for our church and for our ministry. Can somebody say amen? Coaching can be a challenge to motivate players. Even right now, some of you are getting disturbed because I'm challenging you today. Like, please, are you resistant because I don't want to get involved again. I've been there, done that. I don't want to get involved. I'm here to tell you it's not over till you're, till you're on your deathbed. Until you're in heaven, you got to keep running the race. I want to help you succeed. We want to help you as a team. The coaches on this team want to help you succeed. And strategically, we have biblical principles that keep us strong and keep us focused. Let's consider the five E's for a moment. The five E's are one of our, our principles and values that we adhere to in Victory Outreach International. 
The first D I want to bring out was what we did at the first part of the service. What were we doing? Exalting. Exaltation. Exaltation. Becoming a true worshiper. Worshiping him in spirit and in truth. Lifting up the name of Jesus. And then we deal with our needs. We just put him first. Lord, I love you. Lord, I thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy. And even being broken in his presence because of the love and gratitude you have in your heart. That's why we take time for worship. We take time to praise him, to worship him, because we want you to experience the fullness of God. The presence of God pushes out darkness. The presence of God gives you a sense of peace. The presence of God gives you breakthroughs. And when you're in the multitude of people that are praising with you, there's more power in the room. Establish, what does establish mean? To me, it means this. Establishing in the faith, people in the faith, which is like a foundations of faith course, which we're having with Pastor Danny. He's going to be starting that pretty soon. And then we also have the pathways to, to what again? Victory pathways, I'm sorry. I made up the term and I forgot what I said. Victory pathways with, uh, with this guy, Richard. I was thinking it was Keith, Keith Partridge for some reason. The name comes to my mind. He looks like a Keith to me. <laughs> But there's, in other words, we want to get you a strong foundation. We want to make sure you have a, a firm foundation in biblical doctrine. We're going to just say, don't be tossed to and fro with false doctrines. Cunning craftiness. There's a lot of junk out there, and a lot of it you find on YouTube. You can't just receive just from anybody. You've got to filter, filter it through the lens of sound doctrine. That's why we have Vethi for higher education. There's Nick back there. Nick, wave at me. He's our overseer for International Victory Education Training Institute. Now we're calling it Bible College now, right? Victory Bible College. Come on, clap your hands. Some of you never graduated from high school, but you can graduate now from Bible school. So establishing in faith, but also in ministry. Placing people, properly placing people in the right ministry. Even if it's a start line level. And maybe their long-term is to be a pastor. Their long-term is to be an evangelist. Their long-term is to be a missionary somewhere. But starting out as an usher at the door, starting out at the parking lot, waving at people with a sign, starting out by being in that cafe and helping with a cafe or doing anything you can, put your hands to the plow, to start doing something. Sometimes put your work in, as they say. You say that in the hood, right? You gotta get your work in. Right? You can't just be, can't be made without putting your work in, pay your dues. And what do you do? You ask your coach, where do you want to play me? When I first got saved, my dad, my coach, said, I want you to get in the choir, and I want you to be part of the worship team. I go, really? From the baseball field with the ball, throwing 90 miles per hour, now singing in the choir? It didn't mesh for me, but I obeyed. And I learned how to sing. You know what else I learned, too? I took it two ways. I learned how to watch my dad move on the platform. Because in those days, those old days, we, the choir would sit on the stage. And some of them would, some would fall asleep and get a nudge them. We had three services at that time, back in those days. And so I took advantage of watching how my dad worked by watching from this view, viewpoint, how he led the services, how spontaneous he was at times. He was just stop the shirt, call someone out, says, come up here, I want to pray for you. 
boom, stuff like that, moving in the gifts of the Spirit, preaching powerful messages. But I learned a lot and how he knows how to lead the band. He knew how to lead the worship team into the presence of God. So I said, I want to learn all that, what I'm experiencing right now. I want to learn it all. And I, I never fell out of loving music. I love music ministry. As you can see, I even went to the mountains with them to help write music with them. Then I actually got more deeper into it. We had a, a group called the PKs. Pastor, Brother Sean, where are you, Sean? Sean was, he was doing a, uh, playing a song all night long by Lana Ritchie in the car after one of the Bible studies. And, and I, but, but he wasn't playing it for worldly purposes. He was playing it to rewrite the lyrics. And I got in the car with him, and then Mondo got in the car with us, and he started, he said, you want to you write with me? So we started writing this song with him. And I go, when are you going to sing this? He says, tomorrow night. I go, whoa, you just want to sing with us, with me? He asks, I go, yeah, but inside I was saying, no. But we stepped out on a Wednesday night, and we sang, all three of us, and the young people, they were hard to get their attention for one, hard to get them interested in anything we did. But that day, they started standing up and clapping with us. All night long, all night. Okay. Preaching in the streets, do, 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 all night long. Anyway, I forgot all the lyrics. You probably forgot them too, huh? Yeah. But it worked. Then my dad got wind of it. He says, you're going to do it on Sunday for three services. Oh, really? Oh, Lord, help us. Now we're going to the big stage. But I got up there, but before that, I prayed earnestly at the altar after we did the sound check. Nervous, like seven or eight in the morning. We had three services. And so after I prayed, I, walked, I was going to walk out to my seat, and then this lady came up, a witch-like lady. Her hair was all over the place. She kind of cross-sided a bit. No makeup on. But looking very angry. She comes up to me and she says, who do you think you are? I go, Sonny. <laughs> I wish Kathy was there. She would have got her and said, get out of here. Kathy Clark, she loves me. Amen. This lady didn't like me at all, as they say in England, at all. So she's putting me down. It was like an accuser of the brethren. She says, I know who you are. I know where you've been. I know what you've done. I go, really? I go, wow, you must be like Jesus. <laughs> you know everything about me in my mind. But then I knew it was the devil. And I walked out of there so discouraged. And I went to my dad's office. And I went to my coach. He says, what, what you, and I started to cry. I was sensitive. I was, you know, I felt like I felt unworthy now to get up there. He said, what are you crying about? What are, you, what are you sniveling about? You know, my daddy. What are you sniveling? Stop sniveling. And I go, I told him what happened. He says, you got to learn a lesson, son. You got to have alligator skin with the heart of a dove. Don't let that stuff get attached to you. You get up there, you sing. And I learned a valuable lesson from my coach. Don't let the enemy get you down when you're called to do great things. You're called to be a great player on the team. Ended up making our own tape. Me and Mondo made a tape called PKs with eight songs that we wrote together. But then after that, we broke up. 
took different courses, different paths. And so, but God calls you to do something great too. Something new, something fresh, something out of the ordinary. So establishing in ministry and also establishing churches in different strategic places of the world. Number three, envision. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to come back and do part two on this. But I, are you still with me? Okay. I want to I really get this in your system. Envision. envision. Did I say envision yet? Okay. Envisioning with purpose. Mission. Envisioning with the overall vision, international, multi-regional, regional, and church vision, and then your personal vision within the vision and your core ministry vision. Amen. Equipping, that's what I'm doing right now. Equipping people for the work of the ministry. And then also evangelize. Evangelize is what keeps us growing, evangelism. So evangelizing our community, but also evangelizing the world. That's what we're doing by starting bases all over the world. We have a brand new UTC opening up in Brazil, Sao Paulo. We have a, another one, I think we're also going to Panama this year, the international. They're inviting a lot of the United We Can members and all those that would like to go to be a, a part of Panama and also Brazil to have that grand opening. But we're reaching people locally and globally. And what about a great player? What does a great player look like? A great player cares about their own personal growth. A great player learns to take responsibility from themselves and works to set an example for others. I was watching something yesterday, preseason for the Dodgers. They just started spring training. And one of the players, the ex-Dodger, his name was Lo uh, was it Loney. Remember he used to be a left-handed hitter? James Loney, Loney right? James, Mike knows. Mike's an avid fan like I am. Uh, and he was saying how they were talking about the routine for spring training. That they get up at 5 in the morning. They go do a workout. That they get instruction for the day. Then they go play their innings or whatever time they're going to play on, on that day. And then they get released to go home or to do whatever they want for free time. But it's a routine every day it's spring training because they have day games mostly. And then they asked him a question. They go, so what about when it's night games? Because I like the night, day, night game schedule better. You don't have to get up as early. You can sleep in. <laughs> but say, but I, I like that schedule. In other words, but they have to lead by example. And then I was watching one of the other players, a new player, saying how they're watching Mookie Betts because he's proven himself to be an MVP. How this one's watching this one, uh, Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman, a veteran, uh, this other young player. So they have young guys coming up under these veterans that have been proven. And they haven't stopped working hard. They still get up early. They're still the first ones on the field. They're still the last ones to leave the field. That's what you call a championship player. That's what you call a championship player. Come on, clap your hands. You want to be that championship player in the ministry. We are destined to win because of who? Jesus. He paid the ultimate price. He's the author and the finisher and everything in between of our faith. So you already have the victory. He won it for you. You just got to stand upon the truth. You are destined to win. We've been drafted into this army. Whether you like it or not, you've been predestined. You've been chosen. You've been picked. You came out of that little ghetto, but God says, I know where you're at. I know your address. I know where you're from. I'm going to pick you up, turn you around, set your feet on solid ground, son. 
You're no longer that person from the past. Former things are gone. Old things have passed away. You are a new creation, and you're getting newer every day. It's selective, predestined to win. I remember when I was pitching in Pasadena City College. I was really hoping, this was right before I got saved. I was really hoping I'd get drafted. I didn't care what team it was. I was being looked at by the Milwaukee Brewers. And I was playing semi-pro ball with them. And I remember a game I was playing, and Philip's dad was there with my dad. Philip Sr., he loves baseball. He used to love baseball. I'm sure he hopefully could watch up, up in heaven too. Hopefully he watched some good news this year. But anyway, so I'm pitching, and, and this big old guy comes up. Big guy comes up, left-handed hitter, and I hung a curveball. You know what that means? If you do, just wave at me. If you don't, say, I don't know. Okay. In other words, when you leave it up, the ball's supposed to go down and fall into a corner spot or in the dirt to get the guy to swing, swing and miss. But I hung it too high, and it's like, boom, it's like a big volleyball coming at you. And he just went, boom, cracked it. Have you ever been to Pasadena City College? There's a street on the other side of the wall. He hit it into the street. And after that, Philip Sr. told me, man, that, there was a scout there watching you. And as soon as that home run was hit, he walked out. I had a little, mm. <laughs> darn it. I really wanted to get drafted, but God knew what he was doing. He started, he started changing my desires to his perfect will instead of my will. He says, render to my will, son. You're going to be happier. And you're going to be able to go beyond 40 years old. You don't have to retire in this field that I've called you to. You're going to continue on in your 40s and your 50s. And here I am, still here, by the grace and mercy of God. It's not by might nor by power, but by his spirit, says the Lord. Here's some growth factors that I picked up from my dad's message at the, at the getaway when we do the regionals in Puerto Vallarta. He said a few things. I want to give you some of the points he gave us. First, he says, knowing the size of your God. We need to know the size of our God. Constantly be aware of what he could do. See, the greatest limitation to your vision is your attitude. That's what he told us. Your greatest limitation to your vision is your attitude. Do you have an attitude of gratitude? Do you have an attitude with altitude? Or do you have a poor attitude, a bitter attitude, a stinky attitude, poochy attitude? You can tell by people, you look at them sometimes, no wonder they're not growing. They have a bad attitude. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask, think, or imagine, according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. God wants to take us higher. He wants to take us for, for longer, a longer uh, journey than you even imagine is to have success. Secondly, he gave us another uh, point here, exposure to others who think big. If you want to grow, you got to get exposed to people that think big. He brought out that I grew from these giants, David Wilkerson. I hung, I hung around him, I grew. When I got around Nikki Cruz, I grew in soul winning. And then he says, 
when I got around Paul Crouch, when he was doing TBN, I learned how to do TV ministry. I learned all this different stuff from guys that were doing big things. And he, he encouraged us. He charged us, says, you got to get around people that are doing big things. And that's what I do. I stay around my dad. Whenever we get around him, he expands us. He expands our mentality. Some of the elders also expand me too. And I expand some of them too. We expand each other because we want to go big. We want to go mega. Can't you see a mega church here right now? Come on, clap your hands. You're part of something big. So great players think big and they get around big thinkers. But be aware, don't get around the wrong people that are disconnected to our ministry. Okay, let me just say that again. Don't get around bad blood or other types of ministries that are doing something completely different that are not even part of our DNA at all. You can learn from them, but if you come under their coaching, you're going to get develop a different vision. That make sense? So if you're part of this team, you should get the main vision from the house, from this house. And I hear a loud amen. amen. Thirdly, he said, if you want to grow, ability to focus on your giftings. Know your giftings. Discover. I like to say th these three things. Discover, develop, and then use your gifts. Discovering your gifts. There's gift tests that you could take off the internet. You could talk to one of our leaders. They'll give you a link. You could take your own gift tests. But be truthful in the test, and then you're going to find out what giftings most likely that you have. Another way to discover your gifts is your leader, sometimes your coach, starts seeing the diamond in the rough that you have. Or they see that you love to give. You have the gift of giving. You're, you're a generous person. You love to There's people in this room that I could point out that they are super givers. But I don't want, they don't want me to reveal them because they don't want their blessing to be on earth. They want God to give them the blessing. But sometimes we reveal who's giving a lot because we want to encourage others to give. But maybe some here say, man, you, you have ridiculous faith. You have the gift of faith. Or sometimes those gifts come on you. You could also pray for spiritual gifts. I prayed that God would give me the gifts of, of healings. I prayed that God would give me the gifts of miracles. I prayed that God would give me the gifts of faith, the gift of faith. I prayed for all these things, and many of them have developed. I don't have all the gifts. And then one of the ones that is hard sometimes is the mercy gift. But some of you have such great mercy. I believe in the early days of my ministry, I didn't have that much mercy. But as you get older, you realize mercy is needed for all of us. And mercy that endures forever. A mercy that's new every morning. There's not one perfect person in this room. I like to say it this way. This is a quote from somebody I, I once heard say, you're not sinless, but you can sin less. That was a quote by Pastor Sonny Arkansas Jr. <laughs> Years ago. You're not sinless, but you can sin less. And that's what God wants to do as he grows us. And ab ability to focus in on your giftings. You've got to learn what God's put in you, your power spot. Number four, he mentioned this. Every time we step out, we're going to be risking the possibility of failure. But every great businessman, every successful entrepreneur, every successful person, even in, in, in sports, fails or fails. The, the game of baseball hitting is mostly failing. If you get two hits out of 10 at-bats, you're a 200 hitter, which is kind of not that good. 250 is the average right now. Now it's probably going to get, the averages are going to go up again because they took away the shift. For those of you that know baseball, I feel sorry for you right now. The shift that now it's going to be two guys on each side of the diamond. 
in the, in, in, on the infield. So now it opens up holes for the guys to hit up the middle and the holes to the right or left. I like it. It's going to be more action. What was I saying? <laughs> I get into baseball and I go off a track. I just go on into baseball. Oh, fail. So I like to say it this way. I, I, much, I once read it. I think John Maxwell wrote, instead of failing and going back, you fail forward. You fail forward. You get up. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Though they sow in tears, they shall reap in joy. If you need to repent, you repent. You turn away from your wicked ways. You turn away from that sin. You turn away from that, that thing that's blocking you from God's perfect will. If you need to make up with your wife, make up with your wife. If you need to make up with your, your family, your children, your parents, or whatever it may be, unforgiveness will be a blockade to your progress. So get forgiveness from him. Forgive yourself. Forgive others. And then the Bible also talks about if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. But if you sow to the spirit, you're going to reap everlasting life. And then the Bible also says, in due season you shall reap if you do not lose heart. That due season is that, that God moment where God says, here it is. He goes into your time frame. He says, now here it is. Here's your moment to reap a harvest. Here's your moment to get that job. Here's your moment where God's going to open the door. I'm, that's my door I'm opening for you, son. You're going to prosper this year. In spite of the economy around us, you are going to prosper because you are part of my kingdom. A kingdom is not a democracy. It's one king, and his name is Jesus. And we are his children. We've been picked, selected, adopted into the vine. We are called by God, and God loves his children. He loves you more than your mama loves you. He loves you more than your daddy loves you. He loves you more than grandma or tia or toto or whoever. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Yeah, you may, may have failed. Yeah, you may have got you know, hurt. Yeah, things. But you're going to reap a harvest. You're going to reap. If you do not lose heart, if you do not throw in the towel and give up, you don't have to be like that boxer where he says, no mas, no mas, Roberto Duran. No mas, can't take it. Throw in the towel, no. You got, you got a corner of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And when you go to that corner, you get rest. You rest in him. He's at this altar right now. God is here. As you stand with me, we're going to sing a, a chorus. And I believe God wants you to join the team. Start making up your mind. I have more. This message I'm going to do part two next time I speak. I may you receive it. The word. Come on down. Let's get, let's get closer to God. Let's get coaching orders from the Lord. Come on. Make your way. You're part of a winning team. Thank you for joining our podcast. We pray these messages build, encourage, and strengthen you in your faith. If you would like to partner with us, the Mother Church is a great place to sow a seed. So head on over to our website at viochino.org and click the giving link located at the top of the page. Also, we would love to hear from you. So leave us a praise report, prayer request, or if you've given your life to the Lord, 
let us know by filling out the salvation card. We would love to connect with you and help you get started on your journey of serving God here at Victory Outreach Chino.